Good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we have celebrated communion together. Our church observes two ordinances, a term we use. One is communion. We regularly remind, are reminded of Christ's sacrifice as we take the bread and the cup together, a picture of his sacrifice for us, and we do that looking forward to his coming again, as Jezer reminded us this morning. A second ordinance that we as a church believe is important in our lives is that of baptism. And I believe it's very important that a person, after they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, follow in this step of obedience called baptism. Baptism is a public declaration of a determination that you've made to follow Christ. And as part of our Easter celebration, we are having baptisms. If you have never been baptized as a Christ follower, what a great time to do it. Any time is a great time to do it, but what a great time to do it on Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, being baptized, a picture of that death, burial, and resurrection. So if you have not been baptized after you have trusted Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to consider that. Please talk to um, one of the staff members, and we'd love to share with you more about that. If you have questions, also if you have a determination to do that, we'd love to uh, prepare you for that as we celebrate the Lord together on Easter. Also do want to encourage you to uh, invite friends and family, workmates to the Easter services. Oftentimes, people are more open to coming to church on Easter or Christmas. And so there are cards out at the Welcome Center. You can take a few of those and invite some friends, workmates, relatives to come and and celebrate Easter with us on April 9th. Also, Good Friday on the 7th. We'll be uh, watching the movie, The Passion of the Christ. As part of that, we'll be worshiping together, celebrating communion together on that Friday night. There's also uh, things for children ages 5 to 13. They'll be having their special time together as we uh, celebrate Good Friday. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing this morning. Father, as we come before you, may we recognize that you as Almighty God love us more than we can imagine. We thank you for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to journey with you as your followers. Lord, help us today as we look at your word that nothing would distract us from the principles that you have for us today. Lord, help us not to just learn for knowledge's sake, but Lord, help us to apply those principles to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What keeps you up at night? I recently saw a statistic that 50 to 70 million Americans have some sort of a sleep disorder. Now, we can lose sleep because of some physical problem, be it a breathing problem, pain problem, whatever different problems that we have. 
But oftentimes, our inability to sleep is caused by worry or concern. We can lose sleep when someone we love is making bad choices or someone we love is facing adversity. And our love for those, that person or those people causes us great concern or fear. In Colossians chapter 2, we see Paul's love for the people of the church of Colossae. Now, he didn't mention losing sleep, but his concern for these people was evident. Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. We'll read through verse 7 this morning. It says, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of our Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving." Now, Paul's concern for these people, now he had seen, as we saw in chapter 1, and we'll be reminded of again here in chapter 2, that they were fighting a good fight. They were doing some things very well, but Paul recognized that they had a great battle that they faced each and every day. And just like those people in Colossae, we, we face a battle each day. If we're a follower of Jesus Christ, Satan's greatest desire is to discourage us and to cause us to turn away from following Christ in choices that we make, in actions that we take, in attitudes that we have. But Paul's concern is, is evident here in beginning in verse 1 where he uses the term conflict. The word conflict uh, could picture some sort of a wrestling match, a battle going on. The meaning of this word in the Greek is agony of mind. Paul's love and concern are evident as he shares his desires for this church and for the individuals in the church as they strive to follow Jesus Christ. We see his desire for the church, specifically in the first five verses, we see some of the things that they needed to be reminded of and act in accordance with. He desires that their hearts are encouraged. That term encourage means to give support and hope. Paul desired that they be filled with courage. Now, courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. Courage means that we step out and do what's right, even in the midst of that fear. And so we see the encouragement to give support and hope. Paul desired that they be filled with that courage, and to do that, they needed to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider one another, to think about one another, 
in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That term exhorting is the idea of encouraging them. We see in the first or in verse 24 that we're to stir up in one another love and good works. And the author of Hebrews says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching as we face end times, recognizing the battle that we're facing, we need to be exhorting and encouraging one another. And Paul prayed for these people in Colossae that their hearts would be encouraged, that they would be encouraging one another in their walk with God. And that required that they spent time together, that they focused on each other, that their hearts would be encouraged. Also, that they would be knit together in love. Now, love is not defined by warm feelings, but by meeting the needs of others. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8 says this, And above all things means it needs to be priority. Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We see that in, in a marriage relationship, recognizing that our spouse is not perfect, and oftentimes we are, must overlook things. Recognizing that they are overlooking attitudes and actions that we have. But they were to be knit together. They were to be unified because of the love that they had for one another. Fervent love and a strong mind are essential for standing firm. So they're to encourage each other, to help each other in their walk of faith. They're to be knit together, unified, standing firm together in Christ. As a group of believers, they were called to stand together as they encouraged each other, as they were knit together in love. And then he goes on and he says, attaining all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. What does that mean? Assurance. Assurance is a confidence in something. If I'm assured that a person is going to get the job done, I'm confident that they will fulfill the task. And our assurance is a confidence in God's faithfulness. He will be faithful. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded, I am confident in the fact, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That assurance in the faithfulness of God, nothing is going to separate us from His love. And that understanding, the assurance of understanding, understanding is the applying of biblical principles to everyday life. That's what we must understand, that God's Word is true and we can trust it as we see a faithful God described in His Word. But not only attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, but grasping the mystery of God. 
The mystery of God in fact, involves the fact that salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. And again, Paul was dealing with these people that later the term would be called Gnostics to describe their, their beliefs, but they believed that it was Jesus plus. We use the term a syncretism, blending different things together, but, but Christ alone was not all that was necessary. But Paul said, no, Christ alone is sufficient. He is all you need. This mystery of God, it was pointed to in the Old Testament, and now it was revealed in the New Testament as Jesus came to die on a cross for our sins, and so we can have salvation in Christ. But these two, the attaining assurance of the understanding and the grasping of the mystery of God, go hand in hand. We can have confidence that God is faithful, and we can be confident in His provision of salvation and that that salvation is secure in him we can be confident in that what God has begun in us he will fulfill and our salvation is secure in Christ and he says there in verse 3 that we can trust him for all wisdom and understanding again that term all all means all, that's all all means. And if you remember back to the introduction as we described these, these people that would later be called Gnostics, they believed that, that there was some deeper knowledge that would be further revealed to individuals. But Paul here is saying, you have all knowledge, all wisdom in Christ alone, and we can trust Him. For that wisdom, wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. In preparing for today's message, I came across a quote from an old writer named H.A. Ironside. And he was writing on these verses. And this reminds us that wisdom comes from Christ and we can see and look to Him alone. It's a, it's a little bit of a longer quote. I cut out a few little spots in it, but I trust that, that in this you'll, you'll grasp what H.A. Ironside is saying. It says this, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is not necessary to go elsewhere. That is to investigate human systems and philosophies. And, and next week we're going to look more at that. But to find an explanation of the mystery of the universe and the relationship of the Creator to His creatures. In Christ, every question is answered, every perplexity made clear, and every doubt dissolved. Why turn aside to idle speculations when God has spoken in His Son? Christ and Christ alone. And Paul is saying while he could not be with them, he reminded them that he was with them in spirit and he was encouraged that what he was hearing about them. And we see that in verse 5. He was pleased to see their good order and the steadfastness of their faith. Paul recognized the battle that they were facing and he was encouraged in the reports that he was hearing about their faith. But he recognized that chaos could lead to collapse. 
He was pleased to see their good order. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writing to the church at Corinth and concerned about chaos that was taking place in their church services. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14.33. He said, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. They needed to be orderly. They needed to be united and in good order. They were also, we see here as Paul describes in verse 5, standing strong, steadfast in the faith. Even in the midst of adversity, they were to stand strong. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9, Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Peter writing to a group of people that were facing incredible adversity and reminding them to be steadfast because Satan was alive and well attacking them, seeking whom he may devour. But we're to resist him. We're to be steadfast. We can be reminded that even in the midst of adversity, God is faithful. And in the hard times, our faith is revealed and can be strengthened as we lean on Christ. When do we see our faith? We see our faith in the midst of adversity. And we can be confident in a faithful God who will stand with us as we face those difficult times. And as Paul was looking at what was taking place in this church in Colossae, he was encouraged in the reports, but he was reminded to be diligent and faithful in prayer and that his desire that they would stand together, that they would be knit together in love, that they would be encouraged in heart as they encouraged one another and as they were reminded of what God had done through Christ they could stand fast but not only that we see Paul's desire for the people in verses 6 and 7 as individuals he had a desire for them and we see that there in verse 6. He says, Paul wanted them to live a godly life. He said, so walk in Him. Walk in Christ. His desire was that they would live this godly life. This term walk is seen often throughout the epistles, the letters of the New Testament. And it simply means our lifestyle, how we live our character that's revealed in our actions. And so Paul is saying, listen, I want your character to be like Jesus Christ. And we are called to be like Him. Now we see in verse 6 that their walk was in a response to their salvation. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in Him. Because of what God has done for you, you should live differently. Your faith in a faithful God leads to different actions. And it's important to recognize, and your English teacher will be happy, or ultimately your Greek teacher will be happy as we look at some of these actions that they're to take. And we're going to look at the tenses and the, the, the parts of uh, speech that they are, and we see this term received. 
as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. It's an aorist active indicative. And that simply means it's a point of action, a once-for-all decision. I'm sure you're going back, oh yeah, aorist active indicative, I remember all about that, right? No, it's this reminder that it has taken place in the past. It's a point of action in our life as we have received Christ. Our salvation takes place at a point of time when we ask Christ to forgive our sins, to be our Lord and Savior. But that salvation is the beginning of our journey with God. And so Paul goes on and says, now that you have received Christ, there's been a time in your life when you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've put your faith in Him, now you are to live differently, you're to have a different walk. And so he describes some of these characteristics of a godly walk. What is necessary in order to live this Christ-like life. And first, we are to be rooted in Christ. The term rooted is a perfect passive participle. PPP. It means a past event with continuing effects. We are rooted in Him and it's going to change the way we live. We can think of our walk with Christ as a maturing. We use the term sanctification, a church term. We use justification and sanctification. Justification, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about that, just as if I never sinned. And that's the time in our lives when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are justified. We are considered righteous. Because of Christ's sacrifice, paying the penalty and payment for our sin. But then we use the term sanctification. And, and, and you'll, if you go to a Bible class on theology, they'll, you'll use a term practical sanctification. My, being mature, or my maturing in Christ. I am being more Christ-like in my life. And so we see that this rooted has a past event with continuing effects. Because of what God has done, I am going to be more like Christ. I'm maturing in my faith. As you see that little baby, as it grows, it matures. And that's what we're to be like. And the idea of being rooted, it's pictured in John 15, the describing the action of a vine in the branches. Christ is the vine. We are the branches. We get our strength and our stability from Christ, from the vine. Anchored in Christ, which produces stability in our life. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14 says this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We shouldn't be blown about. Instead, as we grow, we're stronger. You watch that little baby as it's learning to walk. What does it do about every step or two? It tips over. But as it matures, as that child grows, it's more stable. As we're rooted in Christ, we are more stable in our faith. And not only that, but we see that we're built up in Him. He goes on in verse 7 that says that we're rooted in Christ, that we're built up in Him. Built up in Christ, a present passive 
participle. It's continuous action done to us. The idea of present is a continuous action. We are to daily be built up. Passive means that the action is done to us. And again, present, that it's continuous as we're growing in Christ, as we continue to mature as God works in our life. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. So we're rooted in Christ And in that, we can be built up in Him as as we allow God to work in our lives, but also we're established in the faith. Established is a present passive participle, just like built up is. It's continual process that's being done in us. We are the recipient of the action. God is the one who is doing the work in our lives. And that term established, the idea of being settled or resolved, Established in what you know to be true. No matter the circumstance or obstacle, we can be settled in Christ. What you know to be true. Now, there's an easy, an easy picture of this. Happened this past week. We know it's spring. Our calendar told us it's spring. Now in Montana, that may not be the best example. So forget that example because we can't trust Montana weather. But we can trust a faithful God. And God can establish and build us up And we can be confident in that. And then he goes on in the end of verse 7 and he says, Abounding with thanksgiving. Abounding is present and active. It's a continuous action. You notice the others were passive. This is active. It's our action. It's not something being done to us. It's us doing something. And we are to be grateful we are to abound with thanksgiving abounding overflowing with thanksgiving what is a very clear sign of maturity in our walk with God thankfulness ask the person next to you Uh, maybe not right now You, you can ask him later on do you consider me a grateful person Be prepared for their response. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, as we mature, we are to be grateful. That should be overflowing in our lives. That we are grateful. What makes it so hard to be grateful? Why is it difficult? It's difficult to be grateful because... In being grateful, I recognize my need for others. I need their help. Pride makes it difficult. But also, in order to be grateful, I must take the focus off myself. Selfishness. Pride and selfishness 
keep us from being grateful. But we need to push those aside and we need to recognize all we have in Christ. Why is it vital to be grateful? Well, a grateful attitude keeps us in right relationship with God as we praise and thank Him. A grateful attitude reminds us of how much we have, and we have a lot. And a grateful attitude saves us from harmful emotions and attitudes that can rob us of joy, contentment in our lives. What are these bad attitudes that a lack of gratefulness presents? Discontentment, envy, jealousy. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18 it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now I want you to notice something there because you may be here today going through a really difficult time and you're saying, I don't think I can be thankful. Notice that he does not say give thanks for everything, but in everything. So how can I be thankful in the hard times, in the difficult situations, in the adversity I may be facing? Well, we can be thankful in this We can be thankful knowing that God is with us through the storm and he is a faithful God. We can be thankful knowing that God has promised that he gives us the strength to endure even though in the middle of the battle we were questioning that. And we can be thankful in the fact that we can grow through that adversity. It may not be fun, but God is faithful. He will be with us through the storm. He will give us the strength to endure and we can learn and grow through it. As a church, we're to be encouraging one another. We're to be knit together in love. We're to be attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, grasping the mystery of God, salvation in Christ alone. These desires that Paul prayed for for the people in Colossae remind us that we need each other. We need others in our lives to encourage and exhort us and we need to be encouragers and and we need to exhort one another in the faith. We can't do it alone. Unfortunately, oftentimes we watch as people determine to isolate. But isolation is a recipe for disaster in our walk with Christ. We need to be together, to work together, to grow together, to stand together. We can't do it alone. And also, as individuals, we're to be rooted and built up in Christ. We're to be established in the faith. We're to be abounding with thanksgiving. We need to rely on God working in our lives as we strive to be be Christ-like in our response to the salvation that we have in Him. And in that, we respond with godly character, with thanksgiving as we are rooted, built up, and established in Him. And to Him be all the glory and the praise for what he is doing in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you as Almighty God that you are active in our lives. Lord, help us as a church family to be encouraging one another, to be knit together in love. 
as we recognize your faithfulness and salvation in Christ alone. And Lord, as, as your followers, help us to be rooted in you, relying on you for our strength, for our nourishment and our battle in this world. Lord, help us to continually be built up and established in you. And Lord, help us to respond with thanksgiving for your amazing work. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.